Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. Join me as we have a real life discussion on how to change your life by changing your thoughts. Remember, question everything, trust yourself, and find your truth. Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. My name is Sloan Fremont, and I'm your host. This is a show where we talk about how to change our lives by changing our thoughts. And every week, I bring you a new guest, or sometimes it's just me, offering up my own stories or perspectives. And really what we talk about every week on this show is just what I said in the intro, how to change our thoughts and which will in turn change our lives. And this week, our topic is transcendental meditation. My guest is Jim Mead, and he's the author of a new book on transcendental meditation. And we're going to get into all of that today. Um, but before we do, I wanted to just let you know on this topic of TM, um, I know nothing about this. I actually came into this interview as a complete beginner. I didn't do any research on it. I was really just wanting to approach this with, with genuine curiosity, which is what I did. So I think you're going to find this interview not only fascinating, but actually you're going to get to the end of this and be like, okay, yes, there's, this is something I can take away from this interview and actually do something about. So stay tuned. We've got a great interview ahead and I really hope that you enjoy it. Joining me today is Caitlin Billings, author of the book in our blood in our blood at its core is about radical acceptance. While Caitlin's personal story drives this theme, it's a universal truth that we all struggle with shame, fear, and grief. For Caitlin, the only way through has been to embrace her imperfections and live her life with authenticity and vulnerability. So Caitlin, I want to welcome you to the Create What You Speak podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So let's start out by telling the audience just a little bit about yourself and what led you to write your book, In Our Blood. Yeah. Um well, I'm a mental health professional uh, by trade, and um, you know, I growing up, I had a pretty, I guess, you know, normal upbringing in that I grew up in the '80s and early '90s, and it was just a different time. Um, yeah. But you know, growing up, I I struggled with some abandonment stuff by my uh, biological father and started developing depression kind of in my later teens. Um, and then kind of through a series of like a, a sexual, uh, an unwanted sexual encounter that was trauma inducing. And then, um, you know, going forward in my life, there are just unexpected events. Right. And so, um, I had an unexpected event that ended up triggering what I understand now to be, um, a bipolar disorder. Um, and I can talk more about kind of how, how severe mental illness can be triggered by trauma, Mm -hmm. but, um, Anyway, this happened kind of while I was getting licensed as a mental health professional. And I really struggled with a lot of shame. I struggled, you know, I felt like I had to hide Mm -hmm. this kind of crisis that was happening throughout those years. Um, I I had to go on disability leave. I was hospitalized a few times. Um, I was (laughs) bringing up kids. I'm married, you know, so a lot was happening that you know, you could see from the outside. And then I think as we all do, there was the inside story that was going on that nobody really knew about. 
Right. Right. Yeah. And that, so that, I really wanted to mm-hmm. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that inside story then is what, like you're saying what people can't see. So on the outside, you may look fine or appear, or, you know, to people you're smiling, but on the inside, you know, it's, it's a completely different story and that we know we all live what's going on inside of us. So yeah. Right. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I, I wrote it because I just, I couldn't see any other way. I mean, I, I've always loved to write. I've, mm-hmm. you know, done a fair amount of kind of just creative writing, but I just couldn't find a way other than to tell the truth of my experience to work through it. Um, and people have said, oh, you, you know, it's really brave of you and this and that. And, and yes, I think being vulnerable and authentic in our um, pain as much as in our joy and happiness is, yeah. can be tough. Yeah. Um, and I kind of feel like, yeah, but I had no choice. I had to do it. Yeah. Or I wasn't going to heal the way that I knew I needed to heal. Yeah. And that writing process, um, just I under, from my own life of even doing this podcast for, I've done it for five years now, being able to talk about what has happened, um, is very healing in that way and being able to get it all out there. Um, it's brave. Yeah. Completely brave. Cause some of these stories, right. We're very raw and very vulnerable about what we're talking about. Um, what have you found maybe after, after writing the book and being that you're a mental health professional yourself in your day job, what have you found after writing the book? And then maybe did that change or shape your day-to-day activity with your clients? I think it, yes. And I think some of that was bound to happen anyway, just as I became more seasoned in the work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like it really has affected my style mm-hmm. and the way that I am with my clients because I so strongly believe in authenticity and vulnerability and radical acceptance and like yeah. living, living the lives, the best lives that we can, meaning that we make space and room for creativity, for um, positive relationships, hobbies that we love to do, you know, like taking care of plants, just something really simple. Right. Um, but really nurturing those parts of ourselves that get lost, you know, when we're in crisis. And I work with, with folks who've really, um, like the umbrella of what I do is trauma based. Mm -hmm. Um, and so while I don't disclose the particulars of my story and my clients, I mean, some of them have stumbled on my book and we can talk about that, but I don't broadcast to them that, you know, oh, I wrote this book and I've had these similar experiences, but I do feel like I'm able to really sit with them through some difficult moments that not all therapists are able to do, Um, you know, scary things like self-harm or suicidal thoughts or just being able to witness some of the more horrific traumas and experiences that we go through, unfortunately, as humans, right? Um, nobody gets out of this unscathed. And, <laughs> right. and, 
you know, and I've chosen to work with people who have been, um, you know, deeply hurt and traumatized often repeatedly in their lives. Right. Right. Yeah. And so your book is a memoir. So you're telling your story and Mm -hmm. I, as I was reading, you know, a little bit about you and in your background, I know a big part of, and you've mentioned this, a big part of, of your message is that, you know, nobody, nothing, nothing is perfect. Nobody is perfect. That idea of perfectionism mm-hmm. is just crazy, a crazy standard to try to keep ourselves, you know, compared to, but yet we all do. Right. So right. What you found now, or, or what did you maybe as you wrote the book and you explored your own story and your own journey, what did you like, how did you move past that? Those feelings of having to feel like you have to do it all, or it has to all be perfect. I think it's been a process. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that there was one like profound moment where I was like, Oh, <laughs> now I get it. Right. Um, but more right. like, you know, just doing it again and again and again. And, and that can look like really tiny moments, you know, or like going to therapy and rehashing the same thing over and over. Like, I think I spent five years trying to convince myself and my therapist that I wasn't, that I didn't have a mental illness, that people were just misunderstanding. (laughs) my symptoms or my experience or you know I felt like I was being pathologized and I really I think what I came to understand is that well yes that happens it it was not that people were trying to harm me or label me in a in a negative way that people were trying to help me and help me understand what was happening in my life and just by like uh, confronting that yeah, again and again, I think eventually I've gotten to a place where I know that I'm not perfect. Um, and I also have really ingrained, I have a ingrained deep sense of responsibility and I care very much about what people think about me. And of course I want everybody to like me right. and, right. Um, and being a therapist has, really taught me like people people get disappointed people my clients are going to be disappointed by me and better to talk about that than try to pretend that I'm something perfect that I'm going to never make a mistake or have a bad day or even need need to take time off yeah um so but I mean feel like something happened I don't even remember what it was that's what's funny right but something happened recently where I was like oh it's this it's this struggle again of like I know I'm not perfect but why do I feel so bad when I make a simple mistake right yeah um and all the feelings come up again and and so you know once again I have the opportunity to sit in the real discomfort and learn once again that I can get through it and I did and see now I don't even remember what it was right right well and as I'm listening to you talk to you know that you mentioned about the small steps or that showing up day in and day in and day in again for ourselves right on these things that we feel like I used to feel about my things that like 
God, this again, like this topic again, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I, like I'm sick of myself on this topic. Like, that's what I used to say to myself. Cause I'd be like, yeah. like I've rehashed this a million times for a million years and here it feels like, and here I am again, still on this. Right. But that in listening to you talk and, and, and describe your experience, like I can really hear like the compassion you have for yourself like the compassion that you allowed to have yourself to have for yourself, because that's one thing I've noticed. And probably the listeners I'm sure noticed too, like, obviously we're the hardest on ourselves, right? We're because we're, we're ourselves. So we're, we're, it's easy to do, but that willingness to like lighten up on yourself or be like more gentle in your approach. I mean, that goes like, I remember when I first started doing that for myself and I was like, wow, like this is a totally different experience. Like I'm like, yeah. And for me, it was so hard to even do that. Like I could only do it in like five minute increments at a time because I was so used to making myself feel so poorly that it felt so dis like so uncomfortable, right. To try to get out of that. But when I started allowing in just a few minutes of that, like relief at a time, then I was like, Oh my God, wh why, why do I continue to go back to doing this stuff to myself when I could, I could simply choose to, to lighten up and not have to, you know, have the weight of the world on my shoulders every day. Yeah. Totally. Um, and I think particularly, you know, in working with people who have survived trauma mm -hmm. or who struggle with a trauma of anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, it is like often those people grew up with a strong sense of responsibility to others. Yeah. And with a real sense of like that they don't matter yeah um because maybe they were used or abused or they've just always put other people ahead of themselves maybe out of a need for survival you know it, yeah. it can manifest in so many different ways but yeah it is so uncomfortable when you start to do it yeah and and but I think to your point you know the longer you can feel those increments of of once you can kind of get past the discomfort and actually like be in the comfort of taking care of yourself, you know, now I really don't have a problem. Yeah. Like, telling people if I can't do it or even needing to, you know, cancel appointments at the last minute because there's something going on in my family or I have a migraine or like I'm a human being. And yeah. I, I have to take care of myself in order to be there for my clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. And I think even what you said, I grew up in the same era, you the eighties and nineties. Right. And as you said, mm -hmm. it was a different time then. Right. And that wasn't something that was really talked about that back then that I remember, like it wasn't, it was more of that drive for perfection and that drive for work harder, do more, you know, burn the candle at both ends. Right. Like that was the. Yeah that's how I grew up. And, um, I grew up in a family business. So it was, I feel like my work style was even more like magnified because I was used to, we had to take care of it because we owned the business, right? Nobody else was there going to do it for us. And so having that, um, I don't know, like giving ourselves that break is, is, um, it's something that I just think that it's easy to forget. It's, it's a simple thing that we can do for ourselves, but it's easy to forget. Yeah. 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 And I've, I've had people reminding me now for years that yeah. it's, it is my Achilles heel is yeah. taking on too much. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I get that completely. Um, so let's yeah. go to the book. Is there any mm -hmm. 
story or anything in the book that you that you want to share with the listeners today or any like your favorite story or maybe even a favorite favorite lesson that you put in the book? Hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> I just want to be transparent that you probably asked me this a while back when we were kind of preparing for this podcast and I don't remember what I responded with. Well, it is, in what somewhat, you, said, you were telling the story about when you were with the therapist and you described the shoes, like, and then your, I think your husband was oh, with you. Yeah. And then when mm -hmm. you were getting, um, they were taking you away. So I, I don't know if you mm -hmm. want to go into that, but, um, I, I yeah. thought it was pretty profound that, that part that you sent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the prologue to the memoir is, um, it was, Basically, I had kind of just like a big breakdown. Um, I think it used to be called like a nervous breakdown. Like, yeah, sort yeah. of my my elders called it that. Your elders, yeah. Um, but I think you know now looking back, what that really means is like people had a serious crisis. Like something right. was happening to the point that they they needed psychiatric care. Mm -hmm. um, and we might call those things now depression or PTSD or, you know, other um, labels, diagnoses. Um, so this was my first big breakdown. And um, I had not been doing well for a while due to um, an unexpected trauma. Um, and I eventually I was doing, I was so unwell that I requested to be put on antidepressants. Mm -hmm. Like I went to my doctor and I was basically like, I can't do this right. anymore. Like help me. So I started taking an SSRI like many people have and do. And my sort of brain chemistry response to it was what they call more of a bipolar response versus sort of a unipolar, unipolar depression where a, an SSRI, like what I was taking over time builds up in the system and people start to feel better. Okay. Um, but what happened to me is a few weeks in, I was having highs and lows mm -hmm. more so than I had ever experienced in my life. Um, the lows particularly, um, I had definitely had depression, but I had never had suicidal thoughts mm -hmm. and suddenly I was having what we call intrusive suicidal thoughts where they just come out of nowhere. And it's like, why am I thinking about this? But suddenly I am, you know, thinking about doing serious harm to myself. Um, so that built up over time. And again, you know, to talk about like perfectionism, I didn't, I don't know. I think I just thought, oh, I can deal with this. Like whatever. Yeah. It's just side effects. I'm not going to yeah. give it too much merit. I don't want to, you know, make a big fuss or right. draw right. attention to it. It'll pass. And it didn't, it just got worse and worse. Yeah. And, um, got to the point where I did require psychiatric attention. And so, um, yeah, I was in kind of a triage room. Mm -hmm. And a therapist came in and basically told me I was being admitted um, under 
a 5150, which is an involuntary hospitalization, which is a three-day hold, um, 72 hours. And uh, it was sort of like everything just like completely broke apart. That's mm -hmm. the best way I can describe it is like yeah. the life that I thought was I was living was just sort of it just like crumbled. Yeah. And that's how I felt like I was just crumbling and nothing like everything I thought I knew about myself and about the world and about what I thought I knew changed. Yeah. And, and then it really has been a process of figuring out that we don't, <laughs> once things change, like, and we all have these kinds of changes in our lives, you know, we, a loss or a trauma or right. a marriage, a childbirth, you know, like, all yeah. these different things that happen to us as humans, we are not ever the same person that we used to be. Yeah. And I felt, and I've heard my clients say so many times, I just want to go back to the old me. Yeah. I just like, why can't I feel the way I used to what's wrong with me? And I went through that process for years of like, this is wrong. And I think that's why I bought the diagnosis too. It was like, no, 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 this is wrong. This isn't who yeah. I used to be. I just need yeah. to get back to that person. Right. Um, and that, that the prologue of the memoir, I chose that as the prologue because it really was the moment when they, everything cracked and fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. And that talking about that and that feeling of um, wanting to go back to who we used to be, right? When we have these changes, and, and as you said, it could be anything, right? It could be a positive change even, or a trauma or, you know, some, a, a terrible event that happened, but, but it, it feels like I, and I felt this in my own life, how I've wanted to, um, like I've resisted the change and I felt like somehow I should be able to go through all these things and remain static, remain the same. And I don't know why I ever had that thought or that feeling. But so then when an event would happen, whatever, let's even use a positive event, then I would like be fighting the change of it, even though it was the thing that I said that I wanted. Right. And, and then yeah. and we spend a lot of time and energy fighting, fighting within ourselves on that, on the change. Cause we don't want the change. Cause we like, to me, it felt like, Oh, I must be doing something wrong that I'm changing, but it's in fact, the opposite. The change is what gets us to the thing that we want. And mm -hmm. that, 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 breaking point like you experienced or that that where we feel like um like we're trying to fight to get back to something that that we're never going to be again i mean there's that loss of self or that loss of that old me that i i think also that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot about how to actually deal with that how to manage mm -hmm. that i'm no longer this person and so this is what it means going forward yes yeah it doesn't, I think, you know, and now that we're in the digital age and I mean, and I think people are starting to be more authentic on social media somewhat, at least of my generation. But then I see, you know, there's a lot of folks there, you know, their image is about maybe something more surface or more what you see rather than what's inside. And so I think yeah, people do see personas or influencers or whoever in this static way. And it's not a true representation of the human experience. Right, right. 
Right. And so then we are up against this, this ideal or this perceived per, um, perfection that isn't even real to begin with anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. I don't know anybody who right. has it all together. <laughs> right. Well, right. And that's the other part of it, right? What I loved about your message and your, um, you know, what you talk about and your, what you're, what you're really saying at the end there is about how this, we don't have to be the, I mean, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just, this is the yeah. way I understood it was about just that, that importance of self-acceptance. Like, you know, we, it's okay to accept yourself plain and simple. It's okay to accept yourself in that. Um, I, I feel like that we sometimes maybe we think we know what self-acceptance is until we go through an event, something happens. And then we mm. are really there in the situation. And it's like, can I really accept myself here? I can accept myself when I feel good and everything's going great, but can I really accept myself when something happens that I don't want or that I don't like or trauma or some other terrible thing? Can I really accept myself here to, and be able to move on from that? Yeah. And I really felt that particularly that first hospitalization, it was just, yeah, it was that it was like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. I, I am usually the person on the opposite side of this. Right. And so, and that just contributed to the shame. Yeah. That I, and I, and I do think, you know, helping professionals and mental health professionals, we can be the hardest on ourselves. Yeah. And there's actually somewhat of a stigma and I think it's getting better, but there kind of is a stigma among mental health professionals to not be our clients or not be our patients. And that is such a false reality because most people who are drawn to the mental health field have had a significant experience themselves. Right. And And that that you, where they needed help. Right. And then it's like, it separates you as if you can't be like, you're somehow not part of the human experience as everybody else. Right. It like separates you from that. Yeah. And I, um, I particularly really enjoy working with young people, like kind of in that transition from teenage to adulthood. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how therapy with, (laughs) they use a stereotype, you know, the, like an older white woman. And I think that's like a sort of the stereotypical therapist that, Mm -hmm dominated in the field for a long time and now I think we're starting to see many more identities represented in the therapy in the therapy profession but um you know that's sort of the stereotype of of what they expected and then they experienced that and I've heard multiple times like I don't want somebody to just sit there and listen to me mm-hmm. and nod their head like I want somebody who gets it and I don't even need to know why they get it. I just yeah. need to know that they get it. And I need to know that like, they're not just going to sit and stare at me, that they're going right. to really engage with me and talk about the really hard stuff without right. getting scared or getting weird or, you know, immediately talking about like, well, we need to, you know, get you to the hospital or whatever. Right. Yes. And I, I've talked about that a lot on the show here, my own experience with therapy. And, you know, sometimes it takes a couple therapists, you go through 
maybe the first one you try doesn't work. And, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. therapy doesn't work. Right. It just, that person right. wasn't a good fit for you. And I, I've talked about that a lot on the show about how, when you find, when you, if you're willing to do that and work through and, and get somebody that you, you feel comfortable with and you, that meets the needs that you, you're looking for. I mean, it, it opens up a completely different world because you're seeing, like I would, whenever I went to a new therapist, I've said, I, I want you to tell me what I can't see. There's things here Mm -hmm. about this that I know I cannot see. And I want you to help me to see that. And uh, that going in with that openness, I think too, really, really helps. um, At least it's helped me to be able to, to be honest with what's really going on inside of me, you know, as well, because a lot of times as you know, our generation, we don't want to talk about the things for the very reasons you said, the stigmas or the, whatever it might be, but being, going in and being willing to be open and honest is to me, it's been life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think the reality is that we were raised by a generation that came out of two world wars mm-hmm. and the, in the, you know, in the United States, the great depression and then civil rights. And, you know, like there were so many big dramatic things that happened in the lives of the generation that, you know, brought us into the world or raised us that there wasn't really room to like break (laughs) down in a way that people could hold. Yeah. Or talk about. Yeah. It was like, it had to be kept secret. And I think because it was already like, life was already so difficult anyway, Right. And, and nobody really, yeah, it just wasn't passed down. It was like, like there wasn't a time the family for or yeah. no time for feelings or like, don't, you know, what stays in the, what happens in this family stays in this family yes. or, you know, the various different things. And, um, and I think also that, like I said, you know, the field for a long time was dominated by, you know, first white men and then white men and, you know, cisgender white men and women. And we, I just seen a huge shift now where people not only are able to say like, I want a therapist who both, you know, looks like me, understands me, understands my story or my identity, but also might, might share that. Mm-hmm. For a long time, we were told, like, don't self-disclose, you know, be the blank screen. Don't show yeah. anything, really. Um, that was sort of the way. And now, well, you don't want to, you know, go in and make it all about you or tell your traumas to your client. People are also now advertising, you know, um, I'm a, a non-binary uh, individual offering therapy to to folks who feel like that's their identity or who want to be offered mm-hmm. therapy by somebody who gets it in that way. Or I'm a first generation immigrant and I get it um, that we're no longer hiding our identities. We're actually celebrating them so that others can be seen. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to the book. I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. just as we wrap up here, coming to the end of our time, yeah. unfortunately, but yeah. What did you learn about yourself during the creation process of your book and bringing it to life? I, 
I learned a lot of things. Um, I, so many things. I, I think I learned about the importance of community and like support. And, and I say that, and I, what I'm really talking about is like the, um, the writing community that mm -hmm. I became a part of mm -hmm. and the support. I was in a memoir writing group uh -huh. and for years and for years, we were all working on manuscripts and sharing these deeply vulnerable parts of our stories and ourselves with each other. And over time, I think what I learned is that like, I, I wasn't the only one doing this or thinking about this. There were other yeah. people and that, that they just as much as I bolstered them, they bolstered me. And I really started to learn and understand that to, to lead a life worth living, I, for myself, I know that I have to do that in the most authentic way possible. Yeah. And that, that has to do with actually putting my story out in the world because I do want to have I want to start authentic conversations you right. know I I want I they say you know like in a in a new therapy group the way to deepen connection is for one person to be vulnerable yeah. and then that shows the rest of the group like oh they they did it I can do it too like yeah. I'm not the only one feeling that she just said it right um so that maybe it's kind of like that you know it's like we're in this bigger group of humanity and I'm like okay I'm gonna be the one among others of us yeah members, you know I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna do that I'm gonna put myself out there and say you know it's okay like yeah you're seen and, and you are, you matter just as you are and you are acceptable just as you are. Yeah. And fighting against that really doesn't get us anywhere, but more deeply depressed or just numbed out or separated from ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that separation is, you know, that's something I lived a long time and that feeling of alone. I, I used to, I talked about on the show, I used to not even be able to say the word alone because it brought up so much emotion for me because I was feeling so separate. And, but that community having that, that willingness, I think to join the community and then the willingness to work within one. And like you said, in a in a group, you know, someone goes first, right. And it's like in any relationship, right. Somebody goes first. And the thing I think, you know, what's easy to get stuck in is sitting on the sidelines, waiting, just waiting, just waiting and not, not being willing to go first. And so, um, I, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for talking about your story. You're writing your book. Um, it's such a brave thing, a brave story. And I want to thank you for, for being here. Um, before we close out, what do you hope the readers learn or take away after reading your book? But they're not alone. Yeah. You know, to say that word, they are not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. It may look like you are, and you are so, you're so very normal, actually. Yeah. You're so, you know, and it's so valid, like the things we experience. It, human, human pain, experience, and suffering, we are all doing it on, yeah. in one way or another. And we're all going to experience grief. And I just want people to know, like, even, even your therapist has their story. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very, that's and, very good. And very, they're very a human special. being too. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My guest today has been Caitlin Billings, author of the book In Our Blood. And Caitlin, can you tell the listeners how they can find out more about you and your book? Yeah. Um, my website is probably the best place to go and it's, um, caitlinbillings.com. So my name, a one word.com. And, um, there's a great page on there about kind of appearances I've made and, um, articles I've written just to kind of get a sense of who I am and what I talk about and what I write about. It's a great thing to check out. Um, there's also a page where you can purchase the book from me, which, you know, helps me as the author. And you can also purchase it anywhere books are found. Awesome. Well, Caitlin, I want to thank you again for joining us. It's been an amazing conversation with you. Thank you so much. Yes. You've been listening to the Create What You Speak podcast brought to you by webtalkradio.net. You can also hear the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Create What You Speak podcast, where we will continue to free our minds, expand our consciousness, and untangle those thoughts and patterns that keep us from living the life we desire. Check out my website, sloanfremont.com, to learn more.